Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duff, and we've got another wild week in college football to break down, and we're going to get into all of the action from week 11. But first, we've got scout stories where the Eagles Senior Director of College Scouting, Anthony Patch, is going to join me here on the show to break down what he looks at for the offensive tackle position, projecting them from college to the NFL. Really fun discussion there with Patch right at the top of the show. Hope you guys learn a lot from that discussion. After that, myself and Ben Fennell, we're going to give our big takeaways from the weekend that was in college football in Saturday scouting lot to take away here and it all started really going back to last Thursday with some great action from the ACC on national TV. Make sure you stick around uh, for our analysis from the weekend in college football. We'll wrap it up with our draft mailbag. Great question from one of you at home about the cornerback position. We'll get to that at the end of the show. As always, make sure you go on to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you've got a question, now is the time. Jump on because we are very, very close now to Senior Bowl acceptances and Shrine Bowl acceptances. So as the buzz starts to build and a lot of players. If you've got questions about anybody, now's the time. Jump on. Leave us a question in the comment box and we will get to it right here on the show. That said, let's get this one rolling. Excited to catch up with Anthony Patch once again for our Scout Stories. Pull up a seat. It's time for Scout Stories. Well, joining us once again here for Scout Stories on the Journey of the Draft podcast, the Eagles Senior Director of College Scouting, Anthony Patch. Patch, welcome back to the show. Good to be with you again, Fran. So let, let's talk offensive tackle, uh, a position that uh, I think most would say one of the more important positions on the football field. What is the toughest part about evaluating those players at that spot and then making that transition to the NFL? Yeah, Fran, you know, I think offensive tackles, I guess what you can hit, if they can handle NFL defensive ends one-on-one on an island uh, would be the big, biggest aspect. And, you know, just a number of quality competition. Um, that they're facing. It's interesting because I, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day and we were just talking about, okay, what are the positions where you typically see guys make that jump from lower levels of competition? And I remember early in my career when I was at Temple, we always kind of talked about, you know, whether it was talking with coaches or just other support staff. It's like, all right, what are the differentiating factors between us, which now we would have been called a, a group of five school at that point versus the, the power fives or versus us versus FCS. It's like, all right, well, the differentiating factors are on the line of scrimmage, O-line and D-line. But that said, you go down every single year. There are small school offensive tackles, small school interior offensive linemen. It feels like you can find some of those guys at the lower level of competition that maybe, you know, they were late bloomers physically or they were, uh, you know, high school tight ends. And that's how they arrived on campus and they were able to blow up. So every single year you're able to find some of those small school offensive tackles. Is it tough to be able to project those guys because the, the level of competition was just it's, you know, tough to be able to make? It. It's not an apples to apples comparison. Yeah. You know, and I remember uh, a visit I made about eight years ago down to Arkansas Pine Bluffs. Prime example is Tron yeah. Armstead. Yeah, I made that. Vi- I made that visit. I went in there. You know, the kid had outstanding athletic ability, great feet, and you just never saw him. You're like, how's this guy gonna do against the top NFL defense ends? You don't know. Yep. You know, we can stick him at a All Star game way, and that'll give you a feel, but you still really don't know how's he gonna hold up against power. And speed at the NFL level until you get your hands on them. You, you're, you know, it's almost you, you take them and see what you got. Mm. But uh, in the guy we got, Lane, the quarterback and JC and converted tight end, try at defense of a line at Oklahoma and then 
settles home at offensive tackle and our scouting staff and coach Stoutland did a tremendous job thinking of the upside and the projection that he could still get better. And so that's a guy that was, I don't know what he was, two sixties, I believe maybe at, uh, was it Kilgore, right? Yeah. The JC and, uh, you know, goes to Oklahoma and puts more weight on and been outstanding for us. So again, yeah, it's, you kind of see them where they are and you kind of think, Hey, where can we get this guy? And you kind of, again, look at the intangibles and read through the lines with the, the staff and, you know, how much weight can this guy gain and, and go from there. You know, I remember reading, it was the, one of the first chapters of, uh, of Howard Mudd's book, uh, you know, may you rest in peace. He, uh, he wrote about just guys making the transition and, you know, some guy, you know, you don't find the offensive line, offensive line finds you and guys that made the jump from tight end to offensive line, but also from the defensive side. And, you know, it's, it's so funny because it's such a technique driven position but so often you see so many guys, I, you know, Jordan Mailata is a great example, guys that are late to make that jump, but are then able, and Lane Johnson, another one, as you mentioned, they're able to late to the position, but able to find so much success. Jason Peters, uh, another great example yeah, as well, yeah. uh, an all-time great. I was just going to mention Jason. So, you know, Tom Donahoe's told the story over and over. Credit Tom, you know, in camp kind of maybe hiding Jason as long as he could, as that converted big tight end, Jason had the the will and the grit, you know, to outlast some of these guys' projections. But, yeah, he's a, another prime example of uh, right in front of us that did that. So, you know, and you talk about that with even, you know, some, some of these bigger tight ends, can they get the size to convert to a tackle maybe? It's uh, I'm, I'm still trying to track that film down of rookie year Jason Peters in the NFL. Like, I'm pretty sure he blocked a punt and was running down on kickoff for one of the games. It was when they were trying – they had him on the active roster. He had to be active at some point, uh, and he, like, blew up on special teams. I'm still trying to track that film down just so I can uh, uh, watch that for sure. Uh, when you look back to, over the course you of your back, career – You have to go back to the beta there. Yeah, <laughs> I might not so. find it. <laughs> I think so. Uh, I might have to, to make some calls to see if I can track that tape down. Uh, what's the best piece of advice uh, you've got when evaluating that position? I guess the – biggest advice is can they handle the speed and power in, in in the mindset that that you know i guess you know toughness aspect and i go back to what i said at the opening is can they can they block on the island biggest thing is too is a length fran you know you got peters i mean he's such a big man to get around a guy like him is tough and to have the girth and the anchor the foot speed to handle the speed on the outside are probably the things you look for more than anything. That's what I actually have had that conversation with myself, uh, <laughs> with others as well, just kind of recalibrating how I think about uh, every position, but thinking about offensive tackle, you know, the ability to anchor is obviously so important. It's a passing league. You don't, you don't want guy, a quarterback certainly does not want a uh, defensive lineman writing, ending up right in their lap. So you want that ability to anchor. But when you talk with the you know, strength coaches, offensive line, is that, yeah, we, we can improve that. We can get a guy stronger over time. It's harder to develop a guy, uh, a guy's power in terms of his ability to move people on context. So that's harder to find, harder to train and also harder to find. But it's still like you you want that guy to have that anchor. But every year we see guys that are, you know, in the 295 range that don't necessarily have that sand in their pants to be able to drop their weight and, and hold up against the bull rusher. And those guys go high every year because, you know, hey, look, maybe not year one, but year two, year three, year four. You could see that, that you know, and this is around the league. You see, it, uh, you know, guys are able to improve, get stronger and, and turn into fine starters in the league. Yeah. And uh, you got to buy in as a player now. Yep. 
mean, if you're not if you're not buying in, I mean, that's that's the majority of the battle. What you're doing the off season because you don't get much time with these guys anymore. Pat, this has been awesome. Once again, thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast to uh, share some stories from your uh, from your time as a scout. Awesome, Fran. Thank you. So great stuff there from Patch, and I love catching up with him whenever possible. Uh, really good stuff there from the Eagles Senior Director of College Scouting. And some of the big takeaways for me, obviously talking about level of competition, and it's so interesting. And I brought up when, you know, when I was at Temple, uh, that was always the big difference between the haves and the have-nots, whether you're talking you know, big-time, power-five, blue-blood programs to the mid-majors or going down even a step further from FBS to the FCS schools was always the line of scrimmage. You just can't recruit the same kind of bodies. That said... You get some of those late bloomers that show up at some of those lower levels, and every single year we see them. Uh, and we're going to be talking about one of those guys here in a little bit, ironically enough, in the next segment. But you see those late bloomers that show up in college football all the time, that go to a, mid, a group of five school or to an FCS school, or even a D2 or D3 school. You always want to keep an eye on those players, but the projection just becomes that much harder because you're having to do exactly that. You have to project how they're going to be when they see that huge jump in competition in the line of scrimmage uh, going to the NFL. So always interesting. And always it's funny, too, uh, talking about Jason Peters. I really do have to track down uh, that special teams film. I remember on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, Ross Tucker, uh, who was a former teammate, we have Ross here on the show every single week. Ross was a teammate of Jason Peters when JP was first coming into the league and told me those stories of him playing on special teams and was like, you got to go find that film. Have still been un- unable to track that down. So at some point, I'm going to. And then the last takeaway, uh, the, the conversation of strength versus power, and Patch kind of discussed uh, you know, needing the buy-in from the player to work on his own time. And that's something we talk about here on the show ad nauseum, right, is the the intangibles and how important that is for a player to be able to reach his upside. We could talk until we're blue in the face about how traitsy a guy is and all the tools and combine measurables and height, weight, speed, and all that. But if you don't have those intangible qualities that Patch talked about, if you don't have that willingness to put in the work to reach that upside – well, it's very likely that you'll hit that ceiling, right? So you need those intangibles, and that's why, uh, you know, to me, like looking at how teams attack the draft, it's not just about the traits players, but if you can marry, hey, this guy might be, it might not be a finished product, but we believe in the person, and then you also have the traits on top of it. Well, now you feel like, yeah, he's got a better chance of being able to reach that ceiling. So uh, that's something that I've given a lot of praise to the Eagles with the way that they have attacked the draft in recent years. A lot of those kind of high character kids that they've brought into the program that they're trying to continue to see develop. And that's uh, a good example of what we're talking about there with what Patch mentioned at the end of that interview. That said, uh, I'd mentioned that we're going to talk about one of these young offensive linemen from a smaller school. We're going to do it right at the top of this discussion right here with Ben Fennel in Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, time to talk about what we saw this weekend in college football as I welcome in Ben Fennel for Saturday Scouting. And Ben, uh, I guess before we get into this week's action and start handing out some game balls, we, get, we got a little bit of news to get through. Uh, over the weekend, the Senior Bowl uh, made it official, made it known that Northern Iowa offensive tackle Trevor Penning, the first official invite, uh, Jim Nagy on campus up there at UNI, extended the invite personally to Trevor Penning. This is a guy we've talked about here uh, a decent amount on the show. Uh, you've watched him. I've watched him. Dane has watched him. Uh, everybody's pretty high on him universally. Uh, your thoughts on Trevor Penning and uh, his projection to the NFL is the first potential uh, acceptance here for the Senior Bowl. 
Yeah, I'm really excited for this kid. He's a really high-level prospect. I think he's a first-round pick all day long. Excited to see him down in Mobile competing against some Power 5 uh, players and maybe some SEC pass rushers and some elite players. And I almost think we should just make this a yearly thing. Jim Nagy, I hope you're listening. Let's just go for an FCS guy first as an invite each year. Nice. Last year, if you remember, FCS didn't play in the fall. Very nice. early invites to... Ooh, Spencer Brown from Northern Iowa, Dylan Radunes over at North Dakota State. Let's just make it a yearly tradition. First guys down to the Senior Bowl, FCS guys. So Trevor Penning, more than appropriate pick. He played left tackle with Spencer Brown out there last year. I think that says something in itself, that Spencer Brown was a high-level player and Trevor Penning was still the left tackle of that team at Northern Iowa. So really fun tape, entertaining player, nasty player. Uh, really excited to see him in Mobile at the Combine, the draft, and eventually on Sundays. And Spencer Brown has turned into, I believe he's starting at right tackle for Buffalo. Uh, different skill set from Trevor Penning, right? I mean, Spencer Brown, uh, more of a dancing bear type in terms of like the light feet and the, and the athleticism. He was really long, but then you look at Penning, uh, you know, he is really stout. And when you go back and you watch Spencer Brown last year at the senior ball, I thought he, I thought he had a lot of struggles, right? I thought he really struggled with a lot of the power that he saw from some of the defensive linemen down there in Mobile, not anticipating that to be an issue for Trevor Penning uh, back down in January. Yeah, Spencer Brown's playing some good ball at right tackle for the Bills. A couple of highlight blocks yesterday uh, on the perimeter. But, uh, yeah, he showed up to Mobile. was a little light in the pants, being a former kind of converted tight end and a taller prospect. Always just had trouble filling out his lower half. And I think it was day one, senior bull one-on-ones. Dalen Hayes put him right on his buck in one of the highlight bull rushes of the day. Happens every session of practice. There's always a tackle that maybe doesn't get his cleats in the ground or maybe isn't ready for the power of an opponent or maybe just isn't at to that level of his opponent. There's always a highlight player, too. Don't kill him for it. It happens. Spencer Brown became better for it and he's playing some good ball in the NFL. And as we talked about in the last segment, uh, it's, you know, for tackles, adding strength, adding that ability to anchor, that can come with time. That's not a, uh, a prohibiting factor from a guy turning into a good player down the road, but that's just something that needs to improve uh, with a lot of guys coming out of college. And honestly, that's one of the major differences of moving from college to the NFL. Once you become a professional, you're then a professional, everything about the game and your body and your diet and your nutrition, everything is about your craft. When you're in college, there's a lot going on. You have other responsibilities. You have class. You're a student athlete. You can only dedicate so many official hours to your craft. Once you're a professional, things are different. And once you get into those NFL strength programs and NFL you know, bodies and NFL minds working on you and working with you, you can really ascend your game and your body. So we've got uh, invites officially going out. Uh, the Senior Bowl tweeted out picture of like boxes upon boxes of all the invites going out uh, over the weekend. So my guess is we will have those are just filled with one piece of paper and a lot of Reese's cups. Right? That's <laughs> my guess all those boxes are filled with. Exactly right. <laughs> uh, but we will be breaking those down. We've already done a handful of the Shrine Bowl uh, acceptances so far. We'll be breaking down all of the acceptances for those two major All Star games uh, every week here on the Journey to the Draft podcast as they continue to cycle through. Uh, one other piece of note. Uh, news that I wanted to kind of go through. There's a great article uh, that got published over the athletic late last week over on, I believe it was Friday morning, Ben uh, from Bruce Feldman, who always does great work. He's been on the show numerous times. Um, and it was all about being on the a kind of a fly on the wall for senior bowl scouting meetings. And, and Bruce did it over a couple of days, uh, was there virtually with Jim Nagy and with their scouting staff. And I encourage anybody who's a fan of the draft and follows this whole process. If you haven't yet, make sure you go check out this article uh, worth the price of admission for, for an athletic subscription. 
mention uh, alone. But I think when you look at uh, so many of these nuggets, I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts, Ben. Was there one takeaway? Was there one nugget that most stood out to you or uh, was really kind of emblematic of the process and just kind of looking behind the curtain at some of these these uh, these meetings with the senior bowl? Yeah, I love him peeling the curtain back to some of the process and some of the process conversations that go on behind the scenes. And just to hear how these guys talk, the one that really stood out with me, UT Chattanooga's left guard, Cole Strange. I just love the description here. This is just one of those profiles that you just love to hear with mauling trench players. Cole Strange freaking kills people, he tells the group. He's old school, no gloves, no crap on his arms. He's got the old school crossbar face mask. When I put on that Kentucky game, I was like, hold Holy crap. He's getting a ton of love as he should. He's a really good player. Maybe use some more colorful words in the article. You have to go find the article to uh, figure out what I covered up there. But you just hear a profile like that. No gloves, nothing on his arms. That UT Chattanooga guys, the entire O-line plays with the old school single bar down the middle face mask. It's really fun. Their right tackle, Curtis McClendon, it's 6'7", 340. Two really good guards out there. But that profile, Cole Strange, that got me up in my chair. I'm looking like uh, Tom Tupo with the single bar face mask. Um, <laughs> for me, it was the, when they talked about the FIU running back, Devontae Price, who I actually studied recently. Uh, big running back, you know, 6'3", right around 210, 215, 220. Um, and what they talked about with Price is something that, Ben, you and you and I and Dane, we talk about this, we talked about it a lot over the last year going into the 2021 draft. But uh, when you're talking about players, yeah, you talk about upside. Hey, this is what this guy can be. I was not helped out by that offensive line down there with the Panthers. And, uh, you know, they, they have, they've had some major issues blocking for him. But this is a big back who's got pretty light feet, pretty impressive athleticism. So you talk about the ceiling and what he can be. But then Jim kind of chimed in and was like, yeah, but guys, uh, this is a guy who's played a ton of special team snaps. When you look at his profile, uh, he has been a core four special teams guy over the course of his career leading up to being a starter back in 2020. So what does that tell you? He's like, look, this is a big kid who's 220 who can run. He's got he's got some giddy up. So when you turn on the film, he's got some top end speed who has that special teams background. He's going to run down on kickoff for you. And and that's the thing is when we talk about upside and ceiling versus, okay, what's, what's his floor? What kind of role can he fill? I think when you're looking at a guy like Devontae Price uh, from FIU, you're like, okay, well, even if he doesn't reach a ceiling of being a starting running back or if he's not our, our strong number two, all right, well, this guy's going to find a role and be a factor on special teams as a third or fourth back. And he, yeah, maybe he then becomes a grinder on early downs or in short yardage and he can kind of do some of those things. Um, So I think that the important talk uh, about a guy's ceiling and a guy's floor, what role he can bring. Yeah. Jim called him. He has the potential to be a four down back, a four down player. I think that was an important nugget there about Devontae Price. And if you do find this article and you enjoy it, Go on to Amazon and buy Bruce Feldman's book, Meat Market, which is about 10, 20 years old at this point, but a really entertaining look behind the scenes of inside the smash mouth world of college football recruiting. And there's a lot of Ed Ogeron in there and a lot of really fun uh, sentiments behind the scenes. So if you like this article, Bruce did a whole book. I want to say, am I right? About 20 years ago. I read it. I read it in like. I think it was summer of 2008 when I read it. So we're talking, it was probably even a little bit older than that. So we're, we're going back a bit. It was a great. Well, I see a paperback copy here on Amazon for $17. You can buy it used for a couple bucks. It's a really yeah. fun read. Just, you know, uh, throw it uh, in your book bag for a plane ride or something. It's really like fun. It. Yeah, no question. Um, All right, Ben, let's get into some of our big takeaways here uh, in college football. As always, we are going to give out our game ball standout player from the weekend. I will come to you first. Uh, Who is your standout player from this weekend in college football? 
All right, so I've been good most of the year with my game ball. I've only been giving it to draft eligible prospects. Oh, here we go. The draft. Let's keep it draft centric and eligible players. Fran, I had to give it to Will Anderson Jr. This guy not only got my game ball, he's the best player in the country. Hmm. He's just unfortunately a, a true sophomore. He's about to break the Alabama sack record, I think, in record time, too, in two seasons. Anyways, they played New Mexico State over the weekend. They obviously beat the brakes off them, but he had 13 pressures, two sacks, a bunch of run stuffs, TFLs. He produces every week. It doesn't matter the level of competition. He will be the first or second overall pick in the 2023 draft, barring uh, anything cataclysmic with injuries and off the field and things like mm. that. But uh, Will Anderson Jr., really, really impressive player. I like it. Uh, obviously, a guy that just jumps off the film, whether you're watching uh, the All-22 or watching them live uh, on TV. Just a, a really fun player uh, to watch for the future here. I will stick with these this 2022 NFL draft class, Ben. And we're going to talk through Kenny Pickett and what he did last Thursday night against North Carolina. National TV, big game in the ACC. Uh, Kenny Pickett goes 25 for 43, 346 yards, three touchdowns, including the game winner in overtime in the middle of a driving rainstorm, uh, you know, old man winter knocking on its heels. You know, it was a, it was a cold day. It was a miserable night from a weather standpoint, especially late in that game. And Kenny Pickett's able to deliver against North Carolina. Now here's the big thing. And this is why I think this is so important for Kenny Pickett. What's going to be the knock on Kenny Pickett. One of the knocks I should say on Kenny Pickett when he goes to this pre-draft process. Cause I'm telling you when he goes to uh, whatever all-star game he goes to, whether it's trying bowl or senior bowl, or if he skips that process and goes to the, the combine and that first hand measurement comes out and it's uh, below whatever the standard people want to have, people are going to rip him about the hands. Oh, he's, he wears two gloves. What does that mean? Is it, does this guy have hands big enough? They're going to point to this game. Any, anyone that says like, Hey, that, that the hand size is not a big deal. You're going to say, what did he do? outdoors in a weather game in crunch time, this guy went out and executed. And I, I think that that will be the one thing that uh, the people who are fans of Kenny Pickett will say, yeah, you might knock the hand size, but I watched him go and do this against North Carolina in the rain outdoors. The guy's been playing outdoors in Pitt for uh, in the Northeast now for five seasons, uh, used to playing outside. And, and as we always say, when it comes to the, the measurable aspect of things, whether it's uh, height, weight, speed, all that stuff, it's not a problem until it's a problem. Kenny Pickett has learned how to throw a football with small hands. That's fine. If he, if he had issues throwing the ball with small hands, then that'd be an issue. But it, clearly that has not been a problem for him throughout his career. And just to paint the full picture, I could find a guy with giant hands that couldn't hit water, you know, hanging out the side of a boat. Right. And I could find that tackle with 38-inch arms that can't pass protect for a lick. But I could find a guy with undersized arms, a perfect form, and it's not an issue. I'm with you, Fran. Those measurement thresholds are only an issue when it's an issue. Kenny Pickett, small hands reportedly. Is he having an issue spinning it? Is he having an issue with ball security? Is he having an issue with a wet ball? Is he having an issue, you know, with quick twitch deliveries? Is there a relatable issue to that measurement? If there isn't, it's just a factoid that doesn't have anything to do with anything. I can find a bunch of factoids about Kenny Pickett. He has brown hair, or, you know, whatever it is, you know, it's only a problem until it's a problem. So some people like to identify those things on paper, but maybe don't complete the conversation about what it's causing or not causing. No doubt. And there is, and it is important to note, 
there is a difference between a college ball and an NFL ball. So that's something that we will watch uh, throughout the course of the process. But uh, that has not been an issue from what I've seen for Kenny Pickett at, at this point in his development. Let's now get to our next category here. One play takeaway. And I want to go, this is actually just going to be from one game, Ben, but it, it, I'm going to cheat and it's going to be two plays because uh, I was watching that Michigan Penn state game. Uh, you had Good, good defense on both sides, right? We talked about the blue chip guys over on Michigan. We've been talking all fall about that Penn State defense, players at all three levels of the field. Let's take a look at two pass rushers in this game. David Ojabo for Michigan. He gets a sack fumble. That's like his fifth sack fumble uh, so far this season. I'm pretty sure like it's his seventh sack, Ben. I mean, the guy has been so, so productive. You and I studied him together. I believe it was last week. It might have been the week before. Um, really raw. He's really green. Uh Barely played any football coming into the year. I think he had 26 defensive snaps coming into this season. Only playing, started playing football as a high school junior. So just has not played a ton of ball. You can see that when you watch him. He's still very raw. He's still very underdeveloped. But the guy's got some traits, and he's been very, very productive. And so now you turn the, turn that on the other side, and now we look at Arnold Abichetti, who for Penn State, has been very, very productive. He transferred up from Temple this offseason. He gets another sack. He gets a sack fumble in this game. And both, so to see both these guys uh, continue to be productive, I think when you look at Evacati, he doesn't quite have the physical upside that Ojabo, Ojabo has. And yeah, like he's got a little bit more experience and he's a little bit more crafty, he gives you a little bit more against the run right now than what I think Ojabo does. But interesting to see both of these guys uh, with questions about the their projection to the next level continuing to produce. And it's uh, certainly a game everyone will be going back to watch for both guys here as we get through the rest of the process. Yeah, I'm glad you brought them up. They were having a little bit of like a sack off in the game. It was right. kind, of, kind of fun every time they were taking the field. But I'm going to go down there to uh, the Georgia Bulldogs, and we ain't talking about their run game or their defense. Sorry, guys. We got to talk Stetson Bennett, but it's the other end of his ball. And he threw a really pretty pass, 23-yard touchdown to running back James Cook, friend. But it was how it happened. They came out in this heavy personnel, and all of a sudden they go empty spread everybody out. I said, whoa, what's going on here, Georgia? Call timeout. You're, you're in uncharted waters here. James Cook was lined up outside the numbers against a big linebacker, slant and go, touchdown. We see that all the time in the NFL, whether it's guys like Alvin Kamara and Aaron Jones and Dalvin Cooks and Christian McCaffrey's. Miles Sanders has spent a lot of time outside the numbers for us in the past game. Everyone's looking for a pass game matchup nightmare. And James Cook, brother of Dalvin Cook, I don't know if I'm calling him a running back or a receiver. Interesting. He has a very hybrid gadgety skill set, which, you know me, I love calling these guys gadget players. You just want to find ways to use them creatively. They aren't conventional, but there's a use for them. And if you have an offensive coordinator that is okay with just finding ways to get an athletic, explosive playmaker of the ball in some unconventional ways, James Cook is a really good player. He may creep into a top 50 caliber player when it's all said and done based, based on his testing. And if he has a couple huge games down the stretch of this really good Georgia season. I was going to ask you if you had done like a deep dive and how you view him uh, projecting to the NFL, it, because he, uh, I studied a couple games uh, a few weeks ago and he, and he is interesting, obviously uh, kind of a Batman and Robin situation down there with him and Zamir white. They, they've got a couple backs uh, that they lean on, but interested to get your thoughts on James cook and projecting him to the league. Yeah, I did a quick study of him over the summer. Like I would mentioned, younger brother of Dalvin Cook, but in a much different package, about 20 pounds lighter than Dalvin. He's only about 5'10", 190. Reminds me a lot of a maybe a J.D. McKissick who keeps hanging around the NFL or even a Tyler Irvin. 
coming out of San yeah, Jose I could see that, that kind of player for sure. That type yep. of player. But I, in my notes here, hasn't been on the field a ton, hasn't no. been used a ton, has a lot of, you know, I think uh, upside to his game. Linear speed, you know, he's kind of a one-track athlete, but it is a fast speed. I think he kind of learned some nuance in his speed and his game with throttling down here and there. But he has the ability to kind of make big plays out of nothing with jet sweeps and literally just hand him the ball and go make somebody miss. Or in the pass game, whether you want to line them up outside the numbers and go slant and goes, or maybe some angle routes out of the backfield, reminds me a little bit of like the McCole Hardman role, mm. where every you know every couple of snaps, McCole Hardman was just in wildcat quarterback. Said, hey, Jake Fromm, get out of here. Just give me the ball. Let me do the dirty work. That's kind of what James Cook is, too. So on the team last year, he was a second leading rusher, fourth leading receiver. And that's kind of right where he's going to be uh, throughout his career, just not as a feature player in that offense. But Tyler Irvin, J.D. McKissick, any of those other running backs like Aaron Jones. I wrote down I Anthony McFarland uh, when I studied him, too. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a good comp as well. He was a really good player out of Maryland a couple of years ago, another uh, Demathic Catholic guy. Yeah, early day three pick by the Steelers. And, uh, you know, when you're talking about Cook, I think that's the thing. His best trade is that giddy-up. He's got that big play potential, run game, pass game. Uh, I agree with you, though. He's he's definitely best uh, on a track as a runner. You know, just get him going uh, in a straight line, whether it's a perimeter run or downhill. He's not. I'd like to see him just make people miss at a more consistent rate. That's, uh, that's my big thing. Whether uh, whether he's going to lower the shoulder and show off some contact balance or just some wiggle in the hole. Uh, you, honestly, I would have said the same thing about Dalvin uh, as well when he was coming out of Florida State. That has not been an issue for him uh, in the mm-hmm. NFL. But um, James Cook uh, definitely has some big-time juice uh, from the running back position. Let's now get to our down the road freak shows. You've already talked about one uh, here in Will Anderson. Interested to get uh, another guy, another young guy that we need to keep an eye on here moving forward. Well, you're Ohio State kid from last week had another big game. Help me out the name, Jackson uh, Smith in, in Simba. Yeah, Smith and Simba. Yeah. He's leading the team in receiving right now. Yeah, and that's with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave right. and all sorts of weapons out there. He went nine for 139 in a touchdown. How about Xavier Worthy? I highlighted him a couple of weeks yeah. ago for Texas. 23 targets over the weekend. 14 catches, three touchdowns, but those aren't my picks, Fran, so stop typing in the rundown here. We got to start talking about This is the first time I believe he's been mentioned on this podcast. Okay. Wisconsin true freshman running back, Braylon Allen. Have you heard about this kid? Uh, I know the name, but I have not watched enough Wisconsin football this year to tell you that I've got a a gut feeling. Turn up the volume here, Fran, because he's a 6'3", nearly 240-pound running back, true freshman with some giddy-up out there. Six straight 100-yard games, 25 for 173 and three touchdowns this past weekend against Northwestern, averaging 7.0 per rush, bunch of big explosive runs, 13 runs of 15-plus yards. This kid looks legit, Fran. Really fun in that Wisconsin offense, 6-3, nearly 240 with some giddy-up. And you know that pro-style running game between the tackles out there. So, Is he Jonathan Taylor? Yeah, the rich just get richer out there. He's like a combination of Ron Dane and Jonathan Taylor put together. So do okay. with, do with that what you will. I like it. All <laughs> right. Well, you, you mentioned uh, Xavier Worthy from Texas. Uh, I am going to go to his team's game because uh, they had a, a tough loss against Kansas and uh, huge hats off to, to the Jayhawks. A, a big win for them, their first Big 12 win in uh, I think like three different presidential terms. Uh, but I think when you look at uh, the performance of Jalen Daniels, true sophomore quarterback, um, made a bunch of plays with his legs, you know, throws the game-winning touchdown in overtime where he escapes pressure and rolls to his right uh, on a two-point conversion play. 
when you look at Jalen Daniels, yeah, yeah, hats off to him. I don't know what he's going to be from a pro prospect standpoint, but uh, big time performance uh, for Kansas to come up with a win against Texas. I ju- I had to find a way to talk about this game. Obviously, a very difficult loss. Um, you know, for yeah, look, it's it's year one for Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, they're going to figure it out down there. I've got a lot of faith um, in what he's doing from a coaching standpoint. But uh, obviously, a huge win for Lance Leopold in Kansas. Yeah, really fun win. I'm happy for them. I love just seeing the kind of parody and the balance there in the Big 12. Everyone seems to be beating everybody uh, this season out there. And what's the deal with Steve Sarkeesian? You know, people have been asking me because I'm a huge fan of him. And I just chalked it up to say, listen, he just walked into somebody else's kitchen, opened up the fridge and said, I got to make a gourmet meal out of this. Let him go grocery shopping and buy the ingredients and the recipes for the meals he wants to cook. Give him some time down there at UT. Uh, yeah, I, it's let's start cook. We can, you, you can get that hashtag going. Um, all right, let's go to our film room recap. And Ben, I, I usually let you kick things off first. I am I'm jumping you on this one because I got to talk about Quay Walker, uh, the linebacker from Georgia. Uh, I did a study. I, I did Nicobe Dean a couple weeks ago. And first of all, watching the trying to say you want to watch anybody for Georgia's defense is impossible because your eyes are going a million different directions with whether it's the guys in the defensive line at linebacker in the secondary. We've talked in the past about how, like, how do you approach watching a defense like this? Do you try and say, Oh, I want to watch everybody in the secondary or all the linebackers, or do you really try and go hyper-focused? I've been very vigilant this year about just staying hyper-focused. I'm going to watch one guy and one guy only. So I watched Nicobe Dean and then you see Tyndall and you see Quay Walker flash. Dude, I watched Quay Walker. I am in love with Quay Walker. Six foot four. 240 pounds. He runs like a deer. He's got it. And they actually spotlighted him in that piece from Bruce Feldman. We talked about 80 inch wingspan. So this guy's got all the traits that you're looking for from a uh, height, weight, speed standpoint. He has body beautiful as it comes at the linebacker position, but then you watch him play. He attacks downhill really fast. He takes on blocks with full extension and it's not just, Oh, his hands are in the right place. He defeats blocks really fast. Sees it, beats it, gets to the football. Really, really reliable tackler. Not only making plays outside the line of scrimmage and coming to balance in the flat and finishing one-on-one on an island, but also playing downhill in traffic and fitting up in the hole, uh, bringing his feet and all that. And then you go to the PFF metrics, 5.2% missed tackle rate. Ben, that is a stupid, stupid low rate for the the best I've seen from a linebacker drafted in the last uh, handful of years since PFF has started putting out this data, 4.9. He's at 5.2. So that just gives you a sense of how good of a tackler, how reliable he's been uh, downhill. Now, limited sample size, only played just under 600 snaps coming into the year over the course of his career. So has not been a full-time player up until 2021. But Ben, Quay Walker, you talk about from a run game standpoint, the athleticism is, is absolutely there. He's been a consistent blitzer. He can do everything from that standpoint. He matches routes well in underneath zone coverage. He can man up against tight ends, and he does that well. He can man up against running backs. He's got the athleticism to be able to do that. I'm just sitting here at the end of the day, and I'm like, oh, what can't this guy do? He's been a good special teamer over the course of his career early on. We talked earlier about uh, knowing a guy's ceiling and a guy's floor. Quay Walker's got both. Uh, he's got all the traits you're looking for. If Jameen Davis was loved up to the point where he was a first-round pick a year ago, like why isn't Quay Walker being talked about in a similar kind of package? Right? I, I think he's going to test like Jameen Davis. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that that's completely out of school to expect that he's going to run like Jameen Davis did. Quay Walker, he's outstanding. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I just had a really good cup of coffee on, on uh, over the weekend when I watched him, but he was really, really impressive. No, he's a really fun player. He's tall. He's long. He's fast. He's nasty. He's violent. He's good range. 
Reminds me, I wrote down Jamie Collins and Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah, like, what, like kinda, when you watched it, did you have anything where you were like, oh, like, that's going to be a problem for him? Because I struggled to find those. No, not particularly, to be honest. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, there was some eye violation stuff at times, or maybe he took a false step and then immediately made up for that with his recovery speed. The biggest question I have with some of these guys are their football IQs and their kind of development behind the scenes. Sure. That's big. In, yep. in, in, in combination with their experience. Yep. Because let's just go full circle here and talk about Channing Tindall. Yeah, let's do it. Because that's the other linebacker, you know, playing uh, in that Georgia front seven, you know, N'Kobe Dean is kind of the mainstay uh, at linebacker, but Channing Tindall has taken on a very similar trajectory as Quay Walker. Channing Tindall also a four-star U.S. All-American, came in with Quay Walker, 6'2", 230, so a little bit smaller, not as long, not as heavy. Really interesting, though, Fran. This guy has zero starts in his career. Yep. So it's also a similar trajectory to Quay. Quay's a first-year starter this year, but Channing Tindall's playing quite a bit. He's really his first time as a regular player, but he still has no starts. He has 449 special team snaps in his career. Yep and just a little over 500 defensive snaps in his career. So he's a guy just looking to contribute wherever he can. And by the way, guys, watch Georgia special teams. Any year, any special you team unit. Trayvon Walker just sit back and yeah. Just sit back and watch. Like it's a Friday night at the movies. Just enjoy. Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, watch their special teams. Because mm-hmm. there are some freak athletes that don't play on offense or defense that are just dying to get out there and run down some people and hit people and show off their athleticism. I promise you, there's some really entertaining plays. I went back and watched uh, Trayvon Walker on kickoff, just yep. blasting people and then going to chase the ball at like yeah, looking athletic <laughs> in open spaces. But anyways, Channing Tindall, he has really good speed, burst, explosive yep. movements. He has good length. He's a blitzer, read and react quickness. I love his start and stop. He pops blocks very, very violently with his hands tight. I love that stack and shed ability, but he also has the ability to just trust his speed, whether it's over the top of blocks, shooting underneath blocks, a little risky at times, but he's a really impressive athlete. Kind of reminds me of Devondre Campbell. I can see who's that. Have, who's sure. having a heck of a season with the Packers, who's a really coveted athletic linebacker coming out. Played some good ball next to Deion Jones for the Falcons, kind of lost his way a little bit in free agency, but has landed with the Packers. I also wrote down Lawrence Timmons and Zach Cunningham, hmm. two kind of high-cut, speedy linebackers as well. Timmons isn't a bad one for Quay Walker either because Timmons had that crazy length as well. Um, Yeah, no question. But two really fun linebackers here. And just kind of looking at the linebacking, you know, landscape, those two Georgia guys in combination with Kobe Dean and then the two Alabama guys and Christian Harris and Henry Toyo Toyo, who's going to crash the party here? Because this linebacker group is kind of murky. There's no set saying that these Georgia guys are going to come out. I think they can return, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they're both. They're, so, Clay Walker is a true senior, fourth-year senior. Uh, Channing Tindall, also a fourth-year senior. So, in theory, they could both go back if they wanted to. Right, with the extra year the extra last year, year yep. and whatnot. So, you know, I've just been gushing over Devin Lloyd. Uh, I was just going to bring, bring that up. You said that Devin Lloyd tape against Stanford was the best tape of any linebacker you've watched yet. Yes. Incredible. Incredible. He hit the linebacker cycle out there. He literally checked every box and coverage, ball skills, blitzing, range, stacking, shedding, pursuit speed, everything you want to see from a linebacker. He checked every box. Really impressive. Watch his pick six. He literally just plucked the ball out of the air from the line of scrimmage. Incredible. Uh, And then Chad Moma at Wyoming. Leo Chanel is getting some buzz at Wisconsin. 
who's kind of that oversized linebacker and that Zach Bond role. He's like 6'2", 255, 260, just goes downhill and hits people. He's like Dante Hightower or A.J. Hawk type of guy. But mm-hmm. this linebacker group is interesting. You want to take a stab at who you think would be the, the first or the second off the board, if you had to guess? Well, I mean, Christian Harris was the guy coming in, and I, I th- he still is. Like, I, I think Christian Harris is great. I know you just did a deep dive on him recently as well. I know you've been going through a lot of these off-ball backers. And, um, you know, Christian Harris is a guy that I think when you're looking at and it's just kind of thinking about the position. People will say like, how much is how how valuable is athleticism at linebacker? And I think if you if you want to say, what do the elite linebackers have? Yeah, like they are they are athletic. You can't be a liability out there to be a solid to above average to like even if you want to say like a good linebacker. I don't know that that athleticism is necessary. But if you're saying blue chip, like hey, this guy is an elite player at the position. Like you need those movement skills. And I think when you look at Christian Harris, and I think when you look at Quay Walker. I think both of those guys have that. And I think Devin Lloyd have those, those movement skills where you're like, yeah, like reverse moving forward, lateral, like all the different movement patterns, movement patterns that you're looking for. Those three guys have it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. The Dean's a guy that reminds me of like Ernie Sims, Mm. really athletic, speedy, short, you know, doesn't really have the length that you want, but uh, kind of a rocked up guy with great speed. Toyo Toyo has a little bit of like a Quan Alexander vibe to him. I think he's really athletic, kind of high cut, can run. Christian Harris, a little more squatty, thick build. Reminds me of kind of like a Jonathan Vilma type. Mm. Um, a guy that actually I left wanting a little bit more out of Christian Harris, to be honest with you. Interesting. I'm really impressed with Toyo Toyo, uh, certainly. But interesting group. And I think it's heavy at the top and then real kind of murky after that. So well, I'm I think pushing that's linebacker. These. I think that's, that's like, even when you're looking at the NFL landscape, I kind of think yeah. that's where the league is, right? It's like there's a lot of guys that you would say like, all right, here are the – I should say a lot. Here are the handful of elites – and then there's like a tear drop off. And then it's like, okay, here's not everybody else, but here's everybody else. Yeah. You know, and it's funny to look at some of the elite linebackers in this league, whether it's the Demario Davises or the Fred Warners of the world or Devondre Campbell's and, you know, why can't Jameen Davis get on the field? And, you know, there's some young linebackers that maybe aren't always NFL ready, despite having all that exciting athleticism and length. So football IQ is very important with these linebackers. So understand the limitations of the tape. Every scheme is different. Everyone is asked to do different things from the linebacker perspective. Hmm. Everyone doesn't get to play behind Georgia and Alabama fronts, and they won't always have that quality of front in the NFL. So there's a lot to learn about these players individually and in a vacuum into the senior bowl, the all-star games, the combines, talking to these kids, figuring out who they are individually and taking them away from the body of the collective defense, which we know there are some really impressive units. No doubt. Well, it's uh, a bunch of really, really impressive players uh, at the linebacker position in this class. Ben, we will talk to you later this week as we break down week 12 in college football. We'll be doing that later this week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Hey, Eagles fans, get ready for the game each Sunday with an exclusive look at Eagles pregame warmups brought to you live each week. When you join myself, Amy Campbell, and Eagles insider Dave Spadaro on the kickoff show presented by Exalta, we provide Eagles-focused analysis, late-breaking news, and the team perspective that you cannot get anywhere else. The kickoff show presented by Exalta can be seen live 50 minutes before kickoff on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. 
So great stuff there from Ben. We will get into our On the Clock segment next week with Chris McPherson. Hopefully we'll have uh, Dane Brugler back as well for next week's episode here on the podcast. So uh, for those of you who are, who are big fans of On the Clock, I'm very sorry that it will not be uh, here for this week. We'll be back, though, uh, for next week. That said, let's get to a draft mailbag where we've got a great question from one of you at home. This question comes in from St. Rick, who said, Fran, longtime listener, I feel like you've hit on a handful of your cornerback evaluations over the years. And whether uh, it was Tredavious White or Xavier Howard or Jair Alexander, when you look at your cornerback evaluation skills, A, do you think it's your strongest position? B, what traits do you value most? And C, because you love asking scouts this in scout stories, how much has your process changed and evolved when watching that position? So, Rick, uh, first of all, you know, uh, thanks for being a longtime listener. I appreciate you pointing out uh, some of those. I, obviously, I have not hit on every single cornerback evaluation. I, there are a bunch of guys that uh, I wish I could have evaluated a little bit better transitioning to the league. But um, I, I think when you look at overall the the cornerback position, I think the competitiveness factor is so, so important with that position. Uh, not just, you know, because I think it's important to every spot, but at corner, you're going to get beat in the NFL. That's that's just the nature of playing the position. You're, you're, it's so difficult to be able to play that position. I, I put it, I always compare it to the offensive line. It is so hard to play that position at a high level. And I think when you look at corners, you need that competitiveness, not just to fight from down to down to down, but to also move on from a negative play uh, and you know not get and not go into the hole just because you gave up a catch or you just gave up a big play or a touchdown. So that is certainly something uh, that I place a lot of value in. I also play place that value uh, in that competitiveness because of the need to tackle. And it's something we've talked about when we've had scouts on here and scout stories over the course of the season is the, the need for corners to be able to tackle in today's NFL with jet sweeps and RPOs and the bubble screens and everything that's out in the perimeter and it being a space game, a horizontal stretch game. You need your corners to be able to tackle. Otherwise, you will be a target, not just in the run game, but with all of those different things that we talked about, those tools that are in an offensive coach's toolbox, you have to be able to tackle one-on-one. And after that, it's just the, the ability to read routes and process fast and uh, be able to mirror and match from man coverage. You could see that, especially in the intermediate routes. I talk about it uh, with wide receivers that who are the receivers that can separate at the intermediate area with comebacks and deep digs and you know you, the, some of those. I don't care necessarily about double moves. I, I don't care if a guy wins on a sluggo. I think if you can win uh, on some of those intermediate routes and, and in the quick game on a slant, that's what really gets me. So conversely, if you are a corner I want you to be able to cover all of those routes. That, that ability uh, to stay in a receiver's hip pocket. You know, I will always say like uh, he's so close that he can reach into his pocket and steal his wallet. That's what you're looking for from those corners uh, at the top of those routes. You know, we'll say in that eight to eighteen yard window. Uh, I think that that is so so important. That's, that's not easy to find, but I think when you're looking uh, for that, I think that's a huge separating factor. Obviously, ball skills so so important as well. Uh, so, uh, Rick, great question. Uh, appreciate you being a longtime listener. Uh, I wouldn't fluff up my ability to, to evaluate corner over any other position, but um, certainly uh, some guys there that have hit that we've talked about a lot here on this show. So uh, great stuff this week from Ben Fennell and, of course, from Anthony Patch. Make sure you tune in later this week. We'll be back with more of a preview for Week 12. We're starting to get towards the end here of the college football regular season, which is wild to say, but we are getting into some of the, the big news newsy parts of the cycle from a pre-draft standpoint. So make sure you're tuned in right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.
When the clock hits all zeros, the game might be over, but the action is not. Join us for the post-game show presented by Rico for instant reaction. Watch live as Coach Nick Sirianni and Eagles players come to the podium and meet with the media. We will make sure you do not miss a word. Myself, Ike Reese, and Gabriella DiGiovanni will also break down the game live at the desk and hear from Eagles insider Dave Spadaro to get his thoughts. The post-game show presented by Rico can be seen on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels.